You're listening to a sermon from Pastor Caleb Gordon of First Baptist Church of Cedarville, Kansas. We pray this message encourages and blesses you this week. If you'd like to join us to worship in person, we meet every Sunday at 11 a.m. at 418 Monroe Street in Cedarville, Kansas. We would love to see you. Find out more about us online at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Cedarvale First Baptist. If these messages bless you in any way, please consider giving to help support the ministry at First Baptist Church. Our mailing address is First Baptist Church, Cedarvale, Kansas, P.O. Box 456, Cedarvale, Kansas, 67024. This morning we're going to continue, and this is going to be sort of kind of the last little section of our series, There is Hope. Last week we looked at Genesis chapter 3, and, and Satan does his dead level best to cast doubt on the authority of God's word. And so we saw in the text last week how Satan came to Eve and, and, and told him, or told her, did God actually say? And, and he sows this seed of destruction in Adam and Eve's lives. And let me just be really honest. Satan is doing the exact same thing in 2022. He is attempting his dead level best to sow the seeds of destruction and doubt in all of our lives that are in this room this morning. That, and he, his, his, his goal is for you to question God's word and to believe that this word is not enough for you today. And, and this, this primary assault on God, uh, on God from the forces of darkness, the reason this is taking place is because he knows he can't destroy God. Satan knows that he cannot defeat God because he's God. There, there is no way that Satan can defeat the creator. And so what he does instead is he attempts to obliterate what God made and what God loves. So, number one, last week we saw where Satan attempts to undermine the authority of God's word. And today what I want us to do is continue by looking in Genesis chapter 3 at this next thing that Satan attempts to undermine in the minds of Adam and Eve. And so if you want to go to Genesis chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 2. Genesis chapter 3 and starting in verse 2. <clears throat> we'll get a running start at this. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree in the garden. But God said... You should not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of this, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. Now I want you to see something in the text here. The first thing you see in this text from Eve is Eve adds something to this word because God told Adam and Eve, don't eat of the fruit of the middle of the garden, in the middle of the garden. He never said anything about touching it. He just said, don't eat it. Eve adds this. And this is what we can sometimes do is we can add, we can add things to God's word that are not necessary. We can add things to God's word that are not necessary. God never mentioned anything about touching the fruit. 
But nevertheless, the enemy begins his second assault. He begins his second assault on Adam and Eve, attempting to get them to believe something false about God. He attempts to uh, cast doubt on God's goodness towards Adam and Eve. He plays the card of God's trying to keep something from you. You're missing out on something. God's holding, withholding something from you. And he's not really good because he's withholding something from you. And this is the world in which we live today. That we think that if we're, we're missing out on something. When you see people, listen. When you and I as Christians see people living in sin whether it be on social media, whether it be in the news, whether it be in some sort of an entertainment field, they're out partying and living up their best lives, the enemy whispers to you and says, you see, look, look, you see? They're having a good time without you. They're having fun without you. You're missing out. You're missing out. And if you just drop that whole Christian thing, you could go have fun too. If you just drop that whole following Jesus thing, you could go have fun too. Well, the word tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 25, that there is pleasure in sin for a season. There's pleasure in sin for a season, but it's just for a season. It's momentary. It's very, very minuscule. And oftentimes the sin that causes so much pleasure will end up causing so much heartache and pain after it's completed. Can I get an amen from anybody in the room? Anybody been through that? You thought, well, that looks good. That looks like something fun I should be a part of. And then you jump in and you you get a part of it and you're like, oh, wait, wait, wait. I don't think I want this now. I don't think I want this now. In fact, James chapter 1 verse 15 says that when desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. So, we start with with an idea in our mind of, man, that looks like it should be fun. I bet I could have a good time doing that. And then when that thing conceives and gives birth to the sin, that sin, when it's fully grown, will bring death. Dr. Adrian Rogers once said, anything that causes pain, suffering, woe, heartache, and tears, it is the fruit of sin. That's not anything of God. That's from sin alone. It's foolish to think negatively about our God who has given us richly all things to enjoy. When I invite you to Christ, I'm inviting you not to a funeral, but I'm inviting you to a feast. That's good. Amen. When I, I, as I stand here this morning and I plead for those to be invited, come into this, taste and see that God is good. I'm not inviting you to a funeral. I'm inviting you to a feast. That's absolute truth. So in the hopes of showing you there is hope today in 2022, in October of 2022, today I want us to go to a text that just radiates the goodness of God, and it's in Psalms 34. Psalm 34. <clears throat> We're going to start in verse 1, because I think that's a good place to start. So, let's look at verse 1. I 
will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be continually in my mouth. I can't think of a better place to talk about this than to look at this. This first thing, that just out of the gate, just a couple of words into the text here, it says, I will bless the Lord at all times. This is where understanding the goodness of God comes from. At all times, we are to bless the Lord and look at Him in the light of who He truly is. The sovereign Savior King who has redeemed us who has set us apart. So even in the midst of trials, even in the midst of tribulations, we are to bless the mighty name of King Jesus. Not only that, but we're to praise Him continually. This means that my circumstances will not dictate whether or not I will praise the name of Jesus. There are so many people that think in 2022 that, I mean, I'm ready to praise the Lord when things are going good. I'm ready to praise the Lord when, I'm, when my bank account's full. I'm ready to praise the Lord when my marriage is good. I'm ready to praise the Lord when my kids are healthy. I'm ready to praise the Lord when I've got everything going right. That's not what the text says. The text says, I will bless the Lord at all times. And His praise shall continually be in my mouth. I'll bless the mighty name of King Jesus regardless of what's going on around me. This means that my circumstances will not dictate whether or not I'm doing this. When the death of a loved one shows up, I'm going to praise the name of Jesus. When I'm having my best life, I'm going to praise the name of Jesus. When I'm sick, I'm going to praise the name of Jesus. This is what it looks like to continually praise the name of Jesus. Listen, I want you guys to understand something. Your praise of the Lord, like what we were just doing, singing out the the, the hymns that we sang, praising the Lord in song, your praise of God, your praise of the mighty King Jesus is a weapon. Praise is a weapon that God uses to defend his people. You don't believe me? 2 Chronicles chapter 20 verse 22 says, as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Syria, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. I want you to see something. As they began to sing and praise, they didn't pick up their weapon. You know what they had for a weapon? They had King Jesus as their weapon. And so they began to sing and praise And your praise and your worship of Jesus will defeat the enemy. Can I get an amen on that one? That's that's the truth. I once heard a pastor say, I'm most susceptible to attacks and temptations of the enemy after I've preached a message. He said, I, I listened to this podcast this last week and he said, I'm most susceptible to the enemy's snares after I'm done preaching, after I've just laid it all out before the congregation. I'm most susceptible to the enemy's attacks after I praise. And so what I do when I got hold of my phone, rather than just go in to start swiping through things, I put on a, a season of worship on my phone. I turn on worship music so that I, listen, I can't go look at and can't go partake in things 
I shouldn't be looking at and partaking in if I've got praise coming out of my phone because I got that's coming up out of me as well. So I'm just going to be singing. I can't be looking at stuff and praising the name of Jesus at the same time. I just, he said, I can't do it. There's something powerful about our praise. There's something mighty and powerful about the praise of our great king. And when you trust in the goodness of God, you're going to praise him more. And when you are praising him more, you're going to trust in his goodness. It's, it's like this beautiful circle of how it works. When I praise God, I'm going to trust in his goodness. And when I trust in his goodness, I'm going to praise him more. That's just verse 1. Verse 2. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. And so we live in a world that we like to boast in almost everything we do. Have you looked at social media lately? Well, we, we boast in about everything. We're talking about everything coming out of the world in which we live. We're like, oh, look at this. Look what I partake in. Look what I've been a part of. Look at this. Boast, 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 boast. We boast in our skills, we boast in our stuff, we boast in our hobbies, we boast in our food, we boast in our houses, our families, we boast in all kinds of stuff. But the word tells us over and over and over again that we are to boast in the Lord. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 31 says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. When you boast about what you're doing, in essence, you're bragging on something, right? So when I'm boasting about something online, if I'm telling something, let me tell you about this, we're both, like we're bragging. We're doing a little bit of bragging. And if you're boasting in the Lord, you're going to be bragging about the goodness of God in your life. Amen? Like you're going to be boasting and bragging about how good God has been to you in the season that you're in. And, And when you boast in the Lord, you're not boasting about yourself. Because if you're proclaiming and talking about Jesus, you're not talking about yourself. You're not self-promoting. You're showing off the goodness of who God is when you boast or brag about Him. And what that causes in those moments is that you start to trust God more because you start talking about the times when God's been good to you, where God's provided, where God's done amazing things. And you can't, I can't believe that God did this. I can't believe that God did this. Like we were just, last night my brother and I my, and my wife and my sister-in-law were talking about how God has been doing amazing things through all these seasons that we're in right now, even like through our estate stuff, with dad stuff, and just the weird things that are taking place. And man, it's all Jesus. All of it's Jesus. And man, we can't help but brag on how good God has been. We can't help it. And so you see, when you're showing off the goodness of God and who He is, you boast or brag about Him. And this causes us to trust in the Lord. And when we're trusting in the Lord and we're humble in heart, we're glad as a result of this. This is what the text says. My soul makes its boast in the Lord, and I'm, as a result, I'm humbled by what this looks like. And when I hear this, the humble hear this, and they're glad. They're like, man, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And when you praise the Lord like this, what causes, what, what's caused as a result is this invitation. The invitation for the brotherhood to come and to join in and to praise with you. Look at verse 3. Look at verse 3. Oh, magnify the Lord with me 
And let us exalt his name together. Let us do this great thing together. There's power when we corporately gather and praise in the name of Jesus together. Can I get an amen? Right, that's when we get together and we come into this room together and we corporately gather together and we praise the name of Jesus. There's something powerful about that. This is why I think over the last, listen to me, over the last two years, there has been such an attack on the corporate gathering of the church. The devil knows that this kind of power, he knows what kind of power you and I have. And he knows what we wield in these rooms. And he wants, nothing, he wants more than anything to extinguish that power. He wants to snuff out the light of the gospel. He wants to snuff out the praise of the saints. There is power when we gather together and praise the name of Jesus. And look what happens next, verse 4. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Anybody in the room fearful of something? Anybody in the room fearful of something in your life right now? You're afraid of something that might come up. Something might happen. Something might go wrong. Something might happen. What do we need to do? Seek the Lord. I sought the Lord and what? He answered me. When you seek the Lord, according to the text, He'll answer. And not only that, He'll deliver you from all your fears. When you're continually looking at the goodness of God, we're going to come to Him with all of our concerns and all of our worries and all of our fears. And He, listen, it's not just a cliche song. He is genuinely a good father. And good fathers take care of their children when they're afraid. They do. When your child was a small toddler. I'm not talking about now as they're bigger. They get my, the reaction might be a little bit different. But I'm telling you, even if there's genuine fear in my children's life, I'm going to do my dead level best to try to help and console and protect. But when your little baby came in the room and they were crying, Dad, I'm scared. You were like, grow up! Go back to your room. And you were like, okay, bye-bye. I got this. Come on. Come on. Let's go look. I know we've looked and checked the monster four times already under the bed, but we'll look again. Let's go under again. Nope, nothing there this time too. You're... Heavenly Father, if that's, if that's what us as earthly fathers do, man, our Heavenly Father does so much more. Those who look at Him, those who seek after Him, those who look after Him, they don't worry about fearful things. They don't, they're not, listen, I'm not worried about who's in the White House because I know who's on the throne of heaven. Amen? And if you read the Bible... You, and if you really trust the authority of God's word, God is the one who sets up kingdoms and takes kingdoms out. That's the truth. That is the absolute genuine truth is that the sovereign king of the universe does all the things that are necessary and puts in leaders and takes out leaders. That's what God does. He's that powerful. And when we seek the Lord and we look to Him as the author and the perfecter of our lives and of our faith, according to verse 5, this is what happens next. Those who look at Him, those who seek Him, those who 
partake in him, those who look at him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. I need you to understand something. That when you're in Christ, listen to me, when you're in Christ, you never have to be fearful of shame again. You never have to be afraid of shame ever again. If you notice the last later parts in Genesis chapter 3, when sin does find itself in the lives of Adam and Eve, shame and fear also are present. When sin is present, shame and fear are present. But pre-sin, when Christ is preeminent, when Christ is in the midst of the garden, and all there's no sin, there's none of those things happening, there was no fear and there was no shame. In fact, the text says at the end of Genesis chapter 2 that one of my favorite verses, they were naked and unashamed. Like, that's a beautiful verse because, listen, what do we do now? I know it's, it's fall coming on, but man we, man, we put all the clothes on. One of our worst fears is to be caught with no clothes on. Terrifying thought. If something happened, all of a sudden my clothes just fell off. Listen, I'm not going to be standing here going, hey, everybody. I'm going to be like, whoa, get me out of here. And you'd be, you'd be doing the same thing. Why? Because when sin is present, there's shame. That's what Adam and Eve did. Adam and Eve did their dead level best to cover up. They took fig leaves and they tried to cover themselves because they were sh- ashamed. But when Christ redeems, there is no shame. When you're focused on Christ, you'll never be put to shame. Shame will never Shame will be irrelevant in your life when Christ is preeminent. Shame will be irrelevant in your life when Christ is preeminent. Verse 6 and 7 gives us the answer of what happens when we look at Him, when we pursue Him, when we humbly seek Him. Verse 6 says, This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of his troubles. The idea of the word poor man here is those who are spiritually bankrupt, those that are spiritually poor, they cry out in repentance. And when we do this, God hears our cries and He saves us. That's beautiful. That's a glorious thing. And then verse 7 says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him, who respect Him, who are in awe of Him, and, they, and they, they're delivered. That angel delivers them. This is biblical proof that believers, Christians, those that are in Christ, have angels that deliver them from from evil. How many of y'all, guardian angel, listen, some of y'all might have more than one. Just saying. Some of y'all are on overtime with some of your guardian angels. Just saying, Darren. Um, (laughs) But this is biblical proof. Biblical proof. And as we finish this up this morning, I want you to see this. There's this invitation in the text in verse um, verse 8. And this is the invitation for you this morning. I want you to see that there is hope in the goodness of God. He says here, the psalmist writes, he says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Blessed is the man. Oh, come in and taste and see. Listen, this morning you said, you're not, none of you are in this room by accident. I believe in the sovereignty of God and before the foundation of the world, this day was preordained. God had this set up before the foundation of the world and listen, 
God in His goodness is inviting you in this morning to something that is mind-blowingly fantastic. And He's inviting you, listen, just come taste and see. Come step into this. Come step in. He's inviting you to taste and see for yourself that He is indeed a good God. Not just a God. He is the preeminent, only good God. There are no other gods out there. Don't think, well, I, I can try that other God next week. There are no other gods in this universe. There is one supreme being, and His name is Jesus Christ. And the only way that you're going to see Him as good is if He is... Lord and Savior. Savior and Lord. That means that He saves you and redeems you, but He's also the boss of your life. He's also in charge of your life. This is where we submit ourselves to His Lordship. His Lordship is what we are to submit ourselves to. And the only way that you're going to see Him as this, and because here's the thing, we were just talking about this this last week. Uh, I was talking to a couple of my friends. Those that are outside of Christ, anyone that's outside of Christ, will not see goodness, will not see God as good, but rather they see the things of the cross, they, they see the things of the Bible as foolishness. So those that are outside of the things of Jesus, they're going to look at this Bible and they're going to be like, that's dumb. Well, of course you think it's dumb because you haven't entered in to taste and see that God is genuinely good. What you're tasting and seeing is the pleasure of the world and what you're storing up for yourself. Listen, what you're storing up for yourself is the wrath of God, not the goodness of God. And I'm telling you, he's inviting you in. I was telling our Sunday school class this morning, we are living in the midst of the goodness of God and the mercy of God. There's coming a day when the mercy of God will cease and he will extend his justice and his judgment on humanity. And so what, what's the invitation this morning? Taste and see that God is good. How do you do that? Repent of your sins and trust the gospel. Repent of your sins Ask God to save you. You say something like this, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry that I've sinned. I've lied. I've stolen. I've cheated. I've taken your name in vain. I've broken your commands, God. And God, I want you to forgive me and to, to be the king of my heart and change my insides and change me from the inside out. Change my heart. Be the king of my heart. The only way you do this is... is Repent of your sins and trust the finished work of Christ. God, I believe that you died on the cross to save me. I believe that you died on the cross and were raised three days later in order that I might be justified. God, save me and forgive me. What's the word say? If you do that, if you do that, what? He hears you. I, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from my fears. This poor man cried out to the Lord and he heard me and he saved me out of all of my troubles. How many of y'all got some troubles this morning that you need to be saved out of? I'm telling you, the only way you're going to be saved out of those troubles is if you repent of your sins and trust the finished work of Christ on Calvary's cross. That's it. And what you're going to see here in just a few moments in, this, in our baptismal waters is a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That's the reason we do immersion. Now, let me tell you something. That water 
saved or wiped away by this water. There's nothing magical about this water. It's just water. This is a picture of what Christ has already done in your heart. It's a public profession. What you're doing here is you're publicly professing. Todd, what you're about to do is you're about to publicly profess. Jesus is king of my heart. I believe in the death. It's on your shirt. The reason I put those on those shirts. I believe in the death, burial, and resurrection that Christ came back to redeem me and justify me before a holy God. That's good. And that's the truth. All right. 